0: Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honour. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Make the ephod of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen the work of skilled hands. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so it can be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, of one piece with the ephod and made with gold and with blue, purple and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen. Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the name of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Make gold filigree settings and two braided chains of pure gold like a rope and attach the chains to the settings. Fashion a breast piece for making decisions. The work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long and a span wide and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row shall be turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. And the third row shall be jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row shall be topaz, onyx, and jasper. Mount them in filigree settings of gold. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. For the breast piece, make braided chains of pure gold, like a rope. Make two gold rings for it and fasten them to the two corners of the breast piece. Fasten the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breast piece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. Make two gold rings and attach them to the other two corners of the breast piece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Make two more gold rings and attach them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod, close to the seam, just above the waistband of the ephod. The rings of the breastpiece are to be tied to the rings of the ephod with blue cord, connecting it to the waistband so that the breastpiece will not swing out from the ephod. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision, as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may, may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Make the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its center. There shall be a woven edge like a collar "'Around this opening so that it will not tear. "'Make pomegranates of blue, purple and scarlet yarn "'around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. "'The gold bells and the pomegranates "'are to alternate around the hem of the robe. "'Aaron must wear it when he ministers. "'The sound of the bells will be heard "'when he enters the holy place before the Lord "'and when he comes out so that he will not die. "'Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal.' Holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it to attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. It will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever the gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. Weave the tunic of fine linen and make the turban of fine linen the sashes to be the work of an embroiderer. Make tunics, sashes and caps for Aaron's sons to give them dignity and honour. After you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. This is a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants.
1: Let's uh, pray and ask God to bless our time thinking about his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pray that as we reflect now on, on, on these words uh, and on these instructions that you gave to your people of old, uh, that you would speak uh, your words to us uh, so that uh, by your Holy Spirit you would speak uh, right to our hearts, Lord, that we might hear your words, be encouraged, corrected, rebuked and encouraged so that we might be uh, thoroughly equipped for every good work lord we uh, we ask it for jesus sake amen well according uh, according to the greeks uh, clothes maketh the man uh, or as shakespeare's polonius put it apparel oft proclaims the man uh, last week, we talked about how a house says lots about a person. Well, so do, does a per- so too does a person's clothes say a lot about them as well. You can tell a lot about a person just by the kinds of clothes that they wear. If you see somebody wearing a high-vis vest walking around, you kind of might conclude that they're a construction worker or they work uh, in, some, in the building industry or something like that. Uh, If you see somebody in jeans and a t-shirt, but with a gun kind of holstered on their belt, you kind of assume pretty quickly that they're a plainclothes uh, police officer or something like that. Uh, If you see somebody wearing a Troy Lee Designs t-shirt and 5'10 shoes, you probably think that they're a mountain biker. And if you don't know what they are, then that's what mountain bikers wear. Uh, certainly clothes tell you uh, a lot about a person. They don't tell you everything, but they can tell you a lot. Uh, and they can tell you not just what the person is like, maybe, but they often tell you quite a lot about what the person does, the kind of work that their job involves. And in the same way, these chapters in Exodus describing the clothes of the high priest can tell us Not so much about the person, but really about the kind of work that he was expected to do. What was the task that the high priest had in Israel? What was he there for? Why did God raise him up? Why did the people of Israel need there to be a high priest? What was he to do? The New Testament Uh, tells us that this side of Jesus, uh, Jesus is our ultimate high priest, he's the fulfillment of all the symbolism that's captured here in this chapter in Exodus, Uh, and, and we don't need priests anymore to wear these kinds of clothes, we only need Jesus. But the clothing of this high priest in Exodus here can still tell us a lot about what it is that Jesus does for us, who it is That he is, and what it is that he does for us as a high priest. This clothing tells us about what it means that Jesus is our great high priest uh, and who stands before God. Well, there's a number of uh, garments that are mentioned here in this chapter. There's six in all there's the breast piece, there's an ephod, there's a robe, a woven tunic, there's a turban, and a sash. There should be a picky up there uh, of that. Uh, There's also. uh, clothes for Aaron's sons. They also have tunics, uh, sashes and caps and, and all of them have um, underwear as well actually, uh, which uh, is mentioned at the end of the chapter. Uh, and you can see in that picture there, this is the, the high priest's garment. So you've got the white linen tunic at the bottom, at the very bottom. Uh, on top of that is a plain blue robe. That's the robe of the, uh, of the ephod. Uh, and that has these pomegranates and bells. You can't really see them at the bottom, but there's some little bells there, uh, which probably kind of were a wave indicating that, that Aaron couldn't come into the presence of God unannounced. Uh, on top of that, with the horizontal stripes, is is the ephod itself, the kind of stripey thing that's the ephod. And then there's a kind of a sash or a belt around the waist. Uh, and then on, on top of the, the ephod, there's also a breast piece that has... Twelve stones. That's the kind of the cube up around here. Uh, that's uh, not cube, the square. Uh, uh, that's the uh, the breast piece, and then on top there's the the turban, uh, the hat. Thanks, Cam, You can take that down. Uh, and and what I want to do. Uh, this, this morning is, is, uh, is to think about some of those pieces of clothing. They're all made out of uh, gold, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. They're all made out of, if you like, the same kinds of expensive materials that the tabernacle was made out of. Uh, and, and when we're told in verse 2 that these garments were given to Aaron and his sons for the purpose of giving them dignity and honour, that's kind of the overarching purpose. But there are three particular pieces of clothing whose purpose is explained in a bit more detail and I want to focus on those three pieces of clothing uh, this morning. And those pieces of clothing are the ephod, uh, the breastpiece and the turban. So starting with, uh, with the ephod, the ephod was made from fine linen. It was uh, expensive and multicoloured. That was the stripy thing that went across uh, the, the body But the key part was two stones that were set on the shoulders of the ephod. On each of those two stones were written uh, the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six names on each of the stones. And the symbolic significance of those names on those stones is explained in verse 12. So God says to Moses, "'Fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel.'" Aaron is to bear the names of his soldiers as a memorial before the Lord. So the idea is really quite symbolic. Aaron is to bear the names of the tribes of God's people before God as a reminder. If you like, he's to carry the 12 tribes of God's people on his shoulders before God. He's carrying them, bearing them up on his shoulders before God. Of course, all that Aaron could do was bear the names of a couple of people on a few small stones. But when we think about how that finds its fulfillment in Jesus, when Jesus stands as our high priest before God, he doesn't just carry the names of a few people on a few small stones. He carries every one of his people on his shoulders. He bears up every single one of his people. No single person in the world could do that. I don't know if you've ever tried to lift somebody up on your shoulders. It's always funny when someone retires from uh, AFL. At the end of the game, they always put them up on their, a couple of people stand there and they put them up on their shoulders. And every time I watch it, I think, this is going to end in tears. They're going to fall flat on their face Uh, and and it, it is going to be a nightmare. It's hard to carry someone on your shoulders. It's hard to bear somebody up. But the message of the Bible is that Jesus does that. Jesus carries, as the Son of God, as our great high priest, he carries us, he bears us up. Perhaps sometimes you feel too weak. Too weak to hang on to God or too weak to pray or too weak to go on in the struggle in serving God. Maybe you feel alone and, you, and, and you're looking for people around you to help. But as you look around, you think, who will help? Who can help me? Who can carry this burden that I have? How wonderful it is then to see in this clothing of the high priest, this great message from God that Jesus carries up, lifts up and carries on his shoulders every one of his people. He carries us through the valleys, he lifts us over the hills, And he bears us on his shoulders as he wades through the torrents. But notice too that the reason that the high priest is carrying these names uh, before God is as a reminder. He's carrying these names and these people as a reminder before God, not as a reminder for Aaron. The stones are called memorial stones. They're really just kind of reminder stones. They're not a reminder to Aaron. They're a reminder to God. It's like the... Uh, the, the, the rainbow in the sky when God makes the covenant with Noah. He says it's there as a reminder to, to himself. It's not that, that God would forget. You might wonder why God needs to be reminded. But it's a way of saying here that Aaron is constantly bringing the needs of the people before, before God. It's a way of reassuring us that God won't forget us. That always, every day... Aaron would be there with the names of his people standing before God saying, God, don't forget. There's those beautiful words in Isaiah, isn't there, where where Isaiah says, can a mother forget her child? Yes. Actually, Isaiah says, yes, she can. But God will never forget Because Jesus stands there before the throne of God with the names of his people lifted up on his shoulders, reminding God how much we need his help. Sometimes we can feel exhausted uh, and weighed down by the idea that our job is to remind God We feel that we need to always be in prayer, always bringing our needs to God. And if we stop, then God will forget us. Or we feel that we need to be the high priest of the world, constantly carrying on our shoulders the needs of the world and lifting them into the presence of God. We think to ourselves, if I don't pray for six hours today for the people in need in this world, then God will forget And we find ourselves trying to bear up the burdens of the world on our shoulders. And to bear up the burdens of our own life on our shoulders, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. But we need to remember that the job of the high priest has been taken by the Lord Jesus Christ... He stands before God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, reminding God not to forget us, reminding God of our needs, bearing us up on his shoulders. Yes, there's a need for us to pray. God invites us to pray, to pray for his world, to join him in in interceding for those around us. But we can also stop praying sometimes. We can also sleep and rest our head on the pillow, knowing that the salvation of the world and God's care for us, moment by moment, doesn't depend on our eternal vigilance. But it depends on the eternal vigilance of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Sometimes it's okay for us to say, I've prayed for that... And now I'm going to leave it with God. And the best thing of all the New Testament tells us about the fact that Jesus carries us before God and reminds him of our needs, the best thing of all is that we know that God hears the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. When we pray, God hears us because as we pray, Jesus intercedes, carrying us on his shoulders before the Father, and we know that God hears what Jesus says. So, the stones on the ephod were about the high priest carrying the people and their needs before God continually. The next piece of clothing was the breast piece, uh, it's described in verses 15 to 30 of the chapter. Uh, and it was made of similar material, that similar stripy material or uh, interwoven material of the of the ephod, but it was folded in half to kind of be a, a pocket. It was a square thing, but it was a it was a pocket uh, on the front of the ephod. And in that pocket were placed the urim and the thummim, uh, which seem to have been used by the high priest uh, to discern God's decision, in particular, uh, in particular cases. So, for that reason, the breastpiece is called the Breastpiece of Decision. Seems a fairly straightforward name for it. Uh, but on that breastpiece are 12 stones. Uh, you might remember the, all the different stones that were mentioned in chapter 28. My favourite there is Beryl. I would just love someone to, have, uh, to buy an engagement ring and say, yeah, it's, uh, what's the stone? Oh, it's Beryl. What a, what a, <laughs> a lacklustre name for a stone. <laughs> Beryl. Anyway... Among the uh, the purpose of the twelve the twelve stones uh, was that the names again of the twelve tribes of Israel uh, were inscribed on those stones. So this time instead of two stones, there's twelve, and again the names of the tribes are on those stones. Now the meaning of the of that symbolism is explained in verse 29 and 30. Uh, God says whenever Aaron "'Enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart "'on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. "'Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece "'so that uh, they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. "'Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites "'over his heart before the Lord.'" So again, Aaron is bearing the names of the 12 tribes of Israel before God on his shoulders and on his chest. But this time he's carrying them over his heart. Now, whenever something is repeated in the Bible lots of times, it's usually a sign that it's quite important. And here we're told three times, three times in a row, that Aaron is to carry this means of making decisions and the names of the sons of Israel. He's to carry them over his heart, over his heart, over his heart. So clearly that idea is important, it's crucial to this understanding of what this breast piece is about. So putting the two aspects of the breast piece together, the receiving decisions from God uh, and carrying the people over his heart, it seems to be that uh, the, the point is that when Aaron came before God to seek his wisdom and to seek God's decision on matters that affected the people, Aaron was to come with the people on his heart. That is, he was to come with the needs and the interests of the people. His task was to lead God's people in God's ways, but as he did that, he needed to have the interests of the people inscribed on his heart. He had to love and to care for them. He had to understand them. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, uh, this time in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The writer of Hebrews says that because Jesus was one of us, he understands us. He has us in his heart and represents us before God. He leads and he guides us in the ways that most honor God and the ways that are best for us. Sometimes I think we end up thinking that those two things can be a trade-off. That is, the ways that most honour God and what's best for us, sometimes we think that they're opposites. Sometimes we fear that what most honours God will actually be what's worst for us. But that's not true. Jesus perfectly combines those two things together in such a way that he leads us in what honours God. And he leads us in what is good for us. Because he perfectly understands God, he can lead us in what honours God. And because he perfectly understands us, he can lead us in what is good for us. You might be tempted to think that God doesn't understand you After all, he stands high above the heavens. He made the world. What could he understand about the human condition? What could he understand about you? What could he understand about what you're facing today or tomorrow or what you're going through? But the remarkable thing is that God does understand. And he doesn't just understand from the outside like a doctor looking on at a person who's, person who's suffering from cancer. He understands what it's like from the inside. He understands what it's like to have that diagnosis and to be the one who's suffering. The remarkable thing is that Jesus took on our humanity and lived it and experienced it and suffered it. And now when he stands before God and has us in his heart he understands exactly what we're going through it's so easy to think isn't it that whatever circumstances that we face no one understands no one can comprehend what we're going through no one knows what we're experiencing our suffering is unique or we can think that nobody cares but that's always a lie Because Jesus always understands, he always sympathizes with our weakness. And he always intercedes for us before his Father on our behalf, according to what we need. You can come to God through Jesus and you can know that like the high priest had the name of the sons of Israel inscribed on stones, Jesus has your name inscribed on his heart. So we've seen that Jesus, our great high priest, he carries us on his shoulders, he has us in his heart. The final piece of clothing that we'll look at is the turban and it's described in verse 36 uh, where it says, Make a plate of gold uh, and engrave on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it and attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. So, uh, so the turban was the, was the hat, obviously, But on on the front of that turban was this gold plate. Uh, And its purpose is explained then in verse 38. What was the purpose of this plate? Well, it will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. Implicit in what God says is the idea that the gifts and the offerings that the people are bringing might not be, or, or, or won't be, acceptable to God. They won't be gifts and offerings that are free from sin. There will be guilt attached to them. Even the best uh, offerings and gifts that the people will bring will be tainted. But the high priest had this gold plate on his head that said, Holy to the Lord that kind of covered, if you like, the guilt and the sin attached to the gifts of the people. If you like, Aaron's holiness kind of, uh, kind of emblematized on this sign on his head was intended as a kind of a substitute and a cover for the people. His holiness covered the lack of holiness of the gifts and the sacrifices that the people brought. But Aaron's holiness wasn't actually real. It was only symbolic. It was just a gold plaque on his head. But underneath the plaque, he was just like you and me. Conflicted, sinful, with a divided allegiance. One moment serving God, the next moment trampling on God while he served himself. One moment following God, the next moment following himself. But when Jesus came as the ultimate high priest, he didn't come with a gold plaque on his head. His holiness wasn't just a badge on a hat covering a polluted life. Jesus' holiness was real. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 7, "...such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son... Who has been made perfect forever? Jesus doesn't need a nameplate. Jesus' holiness is real. And like Aaron's plaque, Jesus' holiness avails for us, His holiness covers over those who belong to Him. So that just like the people of Israel could bring their gifts and their offerings that were imperfect and marred by sin, and they could trust that God would see them as holy because of those words inscribed on Aaron's head, so too when we come to serve God, when we come before Him, we can know that God accepts us as holy as well, not because of a plaque, but because of the righteousness and holiness of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. Even the best gifts that we bring are tainted by our sin. Our best moments are flawed moments. Our best thoughts, our best desires, our best actions, our best sacrifices in service to God are imperfect. They're impure. They're stained by selfishness. They're stained by self-interest. They're motivated in part sometimes by desire for our own glory rather than The glory of God, or they're done half heartedly, or they're done imperfectly, or sinfully. It's like trying to wrap up a present when you're, you know, covered in mud and dirt. You can try your hardest to keep the present clean, but it just ends up ruined, spoiled. And it's the same with the things that we do for God. We can try our best, but they're always tainted. But when we come to God through Jesus, through our great high priest, his holiness covers over us. His perfection overshadows our imperfection, so that God accepts us, and God accepts our gifts, and God accepts our service, and God accepts our love. It's not hard to think that with all the warnings that were here for the high priest, Uh, and others as they approached God. uh, It's not hard to think that with the possibility of death always hanging over them, it's not hard to think that it would have been terrifying to approach God for the people in the days of Moses and Aaron. They would have constantly been thinking to themselves, have I forgotten something? Is there something that I've missed? Is there something that I've done wrong that I don't remember? Will I die today when I approach God? Will he accept me? But what an extraordinary gift it is for us that we can approach God without any of those fears. Not in our own goodness and virtue, not in anything that belongs to us, but based on the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of our desperate unholiness. God opens his arms to us and welcomes us and embraces us. He hears our prayers, he leads and he guides us. Not because we deserve it, but because if we belong to Jesus, he stands before God, carrying us on his shoulders, carrying us in his heart. and his holiness covering us before our God. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we come to you with great boldness and confidence, not fearful of judgment, but trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus once for all on the cross, knowing that you receive us and you hear us, knowing that he carries us in your presence Even now on his shoulders, knowing that he has us in his heart, knowing that even as we sleep, he stands every day before your presence, interceding for us. Lord, we thank you for that great truth. We thank you that he covers us with his holiness. Because, Lord, we know that we don't deserve to have a relationship with you, we know that we're sinners. But Lord, we know that you've done all that is needed so that we can come to you with great confidence to be your children and to be your people. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you would hear our prayers and answer us. Lord, you know all our needs. Lord, you know the things that we're facing. You know the things that we struggle with. You know the sadnesses in our life. You know the joys as well. You know all about us and you know all that we need. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would give us what we need and that you would help us to trust you. Lord, we ask it for Jesus' sake and through his name. Amen.